Outside the Abbey Cloisters, the burgh of Malmesbury bustles and flourishes noisily with the din of the commerce of urban life. An ancient settlement resting on an easily defended flat-topped hill, its celebrated springs have attracted settlers for hundreds of years. In the heart of Wessex, Malmesbury had been a jewel in the crown of Anglo-Saxon England, with the arrival of the Normans, sixty years ago, it was one of the first English burghs to come under direct Norman rule. In 1118, Roger of Salisbury, Chancellor to King Henry I, seized Malmesbury and brought it under his bishopric at Salisbury. He immediately began to rebuild the abbey and the burgh's walls in stone, a process which is still much in evidence. The burgh is typical of England under the Normans, at least in the prosperous southern earldoms. It is thriving in an uneasy, pragmatic truce between the ruling Normans and the defeated and dispossessed English. As is often the case in conquered lands, the victors offer sufficient wealth and opportunity to important parts of the native community to persuade them to cooperate with the new regime. Some call it treason. Others, cowardice, yet others, common sense. William of Malmesbury's great work, Gesta Regum Anglorum, A History of the Kings of England, had been completed in 1122, but he is still adding accounts, anecdotes and stories to the vast wealth of knowledge in the Abbey. Sadly, his eyesight is failing him, and he relies more and more on the support of the brightest of his young acolytes, Roger of Caen, an intellectually gifted and enthusiastic young Norman, the second son of a nobleman. William, a tall, stooping figure looking every inch a learned ecclesiast in his black habit, summons Roger into the cloister. We must journey to the north. Why, abbot? It is a wasteland. Recently, a Norse trader from Northumbria brought me an interesting story. What do you think became of Prince Edgar the Atheling? He must be dead by now. Well, the Norseman tells me he's alive and living in a remote hamlet high in the Pennines. Do you think such a journey is wise when winter is well nigh upon us? Perhaps not, but the chance to meet the rightful heir to the English throne is a rare opportunity and too fortuitous to miss. You English, you never give in. His time passed him by sixty years ago. If he is still alive, he must be in his dotage by now. Nevertheless, choose three or four good men and make sure they are handy with a sword. We leave after prayers in the morning. As William's small party of monks journeys northwards, England's countryside changes from a thriving kingdom of southern shires, where another rich harvest has been safely gathered in, to mile upon mile of grim desolation. At Gloucester, Worcester and Chester they see new Norman strongholds in all their grandeur. Massive stone keeps are replacing wooden motts and baileys, 
modest Saxon cathedrals are being rebuilt on impressive Romanesque lines. Normans and Englishmen mix freely. This new England is a land transformed. However, north of Chester, settlements become more and more sporadic, and in places where people are to be found, they live in little more than hovels and endure a pitiful existence. In the southern earldoms, people speak only of the memories of the massacres committed by William the Conqueror in his harrying of the North of nearly sixty years ago. But in the North, the nightmare is still real. After crossing the Mersey, William decides to make several detours down minor routes, both east and west, away from the main road to Scotland, a route which runs north through Preston and Lancaster, where a thin band of normal life...